Ladies and gentlemen, this is Jarrell Mason, a.k.a. Jay Mason. Welcome to another edition of Beyond the Album Cover, where we get inside the music and entertainment industry with those in the know and give them their flowers while they're here to be celebrated. This man right here, night and day, off on your own girl, soul sisters, jam jam if you can. Pretty much most of the cuts you heard off of Tevin Campbell's debut album. The list goes on and on. Bad Brother. And we are definitely going to give him his flowers and talk about all this production work. Today, I have, yes, Mr. Break It Down himself, Mr. Kyle West. Kyle, welcome to Beyond the Album Cover, sir. Jarrell, I thank you for that, brother. I've never been introduced like that before, and uh, it felt good. I really appreciate that, man. Thank you. Man, it is definitely an honor to have you on the show. Your music along with Al B's and all of the productions played a big role in my life and in New Jack Swing Lovers Everywhere. So this is definitely a treat to have you on the podcast. It is my pleasure. All right, so let's go ahead and get it started. So what was life like growing up in money earning Mount Vernon? And what was the home studio setup like before you and now got to deal with Uptown Warner Brothers? and the Sony Young Innovators Contest? Well, you know, Mount Vernon was hot back then. You know, the mid-80s, you know, there was a lot of talent. Everyone who thought they could make a record, you know, we had they were everybody. And then it was heavy. It was heavy when Heavy D came out and really put the stamp on and he represented Mount Vernon in a big way. Um, everybody had to really step it up to be on that level. And... Um, you know, there was a handful of artists and rappers and singers and, um, you know, Albie Shore, um, who was in their camp already. Uh, he was, you know, he was rapping first, but, you know, um, I, at that time I was in college and he said, yo, God, we got to do this. We got to do this. You know, me and Albie Shore, first cousins. And, um, you know, we said, all right, let's try it. But I had known nothing about rap. So he pretty much, you know, taught himself how to write songs and to sing and arrange. And um, we kind of, you know, kind of latched on to uh, Eddie F, uh, who was in Heavy D and the Boys. And he was able to bring us to uh, um, the late great Andre Harrell. And that, that's how we got on, you know, and we, we had to represent, you know, Mount Vernon, you know, and by God's grace, we did. Right. And... Digging in the record craze, what were some of the records that you guys were listening to before you decided to get into production? And did you build that home studio setup piece by piece? <laughs> well, believe me, we had to go piece by piece because, uh, you know, we were, you know, I was barely out of high school and I was, you know, early in college. So we didn't have no money. So, you know, we was kind of, you know, sharing here in Mount, Mount Vernon, you know, Eddie F had the drum machine and uh, I had the keyboard and I'll be sure I had the, the four track and we literally would just shuttle it from house to house, you know, when we needed it. So we definitely went piece by piece. Um, but, um, you know, we, um, we, I listened to a lot of Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis um, I'm a big fan of listening, you know, to their stuff and the, for production. They really, I mean, they, they, they set it off you know, with their layers and everything. And, um, um, you know, I'm a big Stevie Wonder fan. So that's how I learned how to, you know, structure my chords and, and everything. And Quincy Jones and 
a little bit of the Beatles, you know, Paul McCartney and, and John Lennon. So it was a it was a little mixture of everything that I had to listen to and and learn how to, you know, make make records, you know. And um I think that was my base. And um, you know, and then I'll listen to the rap and that's kind of where we came from right there. Right. And I'm sure somebody was probably making some money on the side since you had to borrow equipment from everybody like, hey, Eddie, I'll pay you this much for this or I'll pay you that much for that. So I'm sure somebody was getting a little bit of greenbacks on the side to save up for some studio time. Well, you know what, Jarrell? Luckily, Eddie was already on tour making a little bit of money. So, you know, he wasn't going to do that. Yeah, that was the one good thing about Mount Vernon was it was all love. You know, everybody was trying to help everybody get on. You know, there was no, you know, we were kids. We didn't have no money. So, and we had the passion. So we wasn't working, you know, we was just trying to make records. And luckily no one ever said, oh, give me some money here. Just, whenever there was some time free, come on in. You know, I, I definitely did it at, you know, my parents' house at the time. So that was the good thing about Mount Vernon. You know, it was all about the craft. Mm, it was very community oriented, everybody willing to help everybody. Now you mentioned Jam and Lewis. Now, when I first heard Nasty, it kind of was the early blueprint for what was later to come with New Jack Swing and then also Full Force with their early work with Lisa Lisa and Nicole Jam themselves, UTFO, and everybody that they produced. So can you tell me about that lineage from Full Force to you and now and then to Teddy and New Jack Swing? Well, you, you hit it right on the nose there, too. Um, I agree, like 85, 86, you know, Jimmy and Terry, they definitely set it off. It was a more aggressive um, approach to, to Black music and young Black music, you know. Uh, there was definitely, you know, a movement going on. And, uh, you know, here on the East Coast, it was definitely full force, you know. Um, they were putting it down, their sound, their... Their, their, their performance, their writing, everything was youth oriented and New York, they really put it on. And then, um, you know, then there's no doubt by, by, you know, 86, 87, you know, you had that, 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 that young genius, you know, and Teddy Riley, who was, um, you know, he definitely put, and you know, and his name wasn't out because the, 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 the musical genre wasn't that big yet. But you heard his, you heard these records that years later we found out, yeah, that's Teddy Riley, you know, that he didn't, you know, there was no one out there to say, oh, here's this new guy. But, you know, in a year, a quick year, Teddy Riley changed the sound again. And he was able to not just do it with rap, he could do it with R&B, he was doing it with slow music and, um, you know, his ballads. And then when I came to Uptown, you know, with Andre Harrell, he put me with Teddy Riley. You know, but I already worked with Eddie F. That's where I pretty much got my direction, working with Eddie F. But working with Teddy, Teddy was said, oh, no, no, musically, you can be aggressive, give it some space, you know, but, you know, still keep it on edge, keep it urban. And I just... I just wasn't that. I'm a Mount Vernon boy, you know, I'm from the suburbs. So I kind of smoothed it out a little bit, you know? <laughs> so it was that young, aggressive R&B, but it had strings and, 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 and guitars and, 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 uh, 
and harps and things. And it was like, wait, that's not the urban thing, but that's that's smooth. So that's where me and Albie Shaw kind of brought that R&B thing and smoothed it out a little bit. And that's where we made our space, you know? So that was a mixture of Teddy Riley and Jam and Lewis, you know? Right. And by the God, you know, it's people liked it. Right. And to set the scene for those of you that may be too young to remember when rapping hip, rapping R&B did not meet. So pre-86, 87, R&B was pretty much Anita Baker, Luther Vandross, Freddie Jackson, Sade, pretty much upscale, classy R&B. But by the time 86, 87 rolled around with Key Sweat, Make It Last Forever, In Effect Mode, and Guy's debut album, R&B, like you said, Kyle, became more aggressive, youth-oriented, had more bite. Because when I first heard Teddy Riley's uh, Classical Twos Raps New Generation, I was like, man, this mm -hmm. could have been a heavy D record. <laughs> That's right. That's exactly right. That is absolutely right. Um, that record, you know, again, it's it's rap in the mid to late 70s, late 80s. And, you know, it wasn't on the map like it is today. And so you only heard it in certain cities and certain neighborhoods. But you knew this was something that was new and up and coming. And um, it, now he Teddy kind of made the distinction between the two, as you said. You know, it was more of a youth movement. And um, that's what Teddy Riley brought to the, to the music industry. Right. And I believe when I was listening to the Jack interview that you did for the Jack podcast story about New Jack Swing, you were down mm -hmm. in Baton Rouge at LSU, correct? Correct, yes. Now how, did, now, now, how did you end up down in Baton Rouge? And did you kind of soak up some of the early bounce culture in New Orleans? And were you taking your mixtapes from Red Alert and Mr. Magic and importing the culture down to Louisiana? No, no, Gerard. I was, you know what? I was down there as a, as a finance student. You know, I went down there. Um, you know, I wanted to, uh, you know, to, 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 to play with the, 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 the famed, you know, LSU football fighting Tigers team, which I wasn't able to do, but I just went down there. I was a student, you know, and um, at the same time, I, I was not influenced by the, um, the culture and the music down there. That's incredible. Um, it did not work itself in, into me yet at the time. Um, I had no intentions on being in the music industry uh, when I got there. And, um, you know, it was by my, my junior year, you know, which is when, um, you know, when Heavy D came out that that's what said, all right, this could be something because I, I used to play music as a, as a child. I took piano lessons and everything growing up. And um, but that's not what I wanted to do, you know. So it wasn't until Heavy and that that the energy here, you know, in Mount Vernon is when I, um, I said, you know what? I used to do this. Let me see if I can do it now. But I wish I would have been you know, in the mix of what was going on with the jazz and then, you know, kind of, you know, filtering in jazz into music here and there. But uh, unfortunately, no, I was never influenced by the music down there. Yeah, you kind of hear a little bit of the jazz influence in right now on the Sexy Versus album. So we're going to get more into that later. So around 86, um, was that correct? 86 when Andre Harrell formed Uptown and left Rush Management to form Uptown? I'm, I'm quite sure that was, yes, around 86. Absolutely. Mm, now, did it take you a lot of convincing 
for from him to have you come to Uptown and work with Heavy D, and then of course get I'll be going with uh, the Night and Day, and that landed in Quincy Jones through the Sony's Innovators Contest. Correct. Correct. No, you know what, Jarrell, it, 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 it was it was Eddie F. Everything was going through Eddie F. at the time. You know, um, Eddie was the, Eddie was the DJ, but. His his musical mind was was is really broad. So even back then, he knew he wanted to do something and be attached to something outside of rap. So Andre, you know, God rest his soul. Andre's hard. Andre, you just can't walk in. Andre could love your stuff. He is not going to let you know that up front. You know, give you a poker so, face. Oh yeah, he he's going to make you work. He's going to make you sweat. So he made sure that we had to do everything through Eddie. Eddie would step, you know, whenever me and Al would have a song, you know, Eddie would have to bring it to Andre. You know, it would, that's the way it was in the beginning. So uh, myself and Al, be sure we got on through Eddie F, you know, and then we finally had that meeting because then I was getting ready to go back to school. And um, I said, look, I, I haven't heard anything from this guy. You know, we haven't heard anything from this Andre Harrell guy. I got to go back to school. And then that's when Eddie had set up the meeting with Andre. And um, that was early 87. And Andre said, look, you guys got a lot of talent. And I, I could see, you know, what we can do with this artist. And, um, you know, you guys got to work. Got to put in some more work. But I think we could do something. I want to bring you to meet, you know, my producer, my staff producer, which happened to be uh, Teddy at the time. And um, that was it. That's how I got with uh, with Uptown. Wow! And tell me about the making of Night and Day. Was there a rough version of it before we heard the polished version from In Effect Mode? Great story. Yes, it was. Uh, we, you know, again, getting back to the equipment, we had some. You know, we had the the bargain basement equipment, and um, we. I remember one night I created a track. And um, it was smooth, a smooth track, you know, it, was, it, it had great melody, but, you know, there was nothing cool about the sound. And I used to have a shoebox of tapes, you know, that, that, that went into the four track. And, um, you know, Al B. Shore would, would you know, he would come home because we lived in the house at the same time, you know, at that time. And he would just pop them in and then just put melodies behind some of these, these tracks. And there was one that one track that he really connected to, and he just put just a hook, no verses or anything yet, just a hook. And um, he played that for Teddy, and no, he played it for Eddie first, then Teddy, play, you know, he played them for Teddy and Andre, and I had no idea people were playing. I didn't know what the song was, and we had a really really rough version, so that when we finally met Teddy which was maybe two months later, we were working on Off On Your Own, which we finished and, and Teddy brought it to life. And then we said, what's the next song we're gonna play? You know, we're gonna work on. And um, Teddy said, what about that, that, that uh, Michael Jackson sounding song? <laughs> I'm like, well, what, what song is that? I had no idea. And then Al started singing the hook for Night and Day. And he said, yeah, that song, that's a great song. That's a great song. So it was Teddy's mind was like, yeah, I, that song really locked in. He said, we got to work on that next. So that's how Night and Day kind of got, got, got the heat going, you know, even in demo mode. Right. And was this before the Sony contest that Quincy Jones heard it? 
Oh, sure. Yeah, this was definitely before that. This was, yeah, this was before Albatro even had a deal yet. You know, we were just doing demos with Teddy at the time. Uh, so that was early in early in that year, 87, I guess it was. Uh, so there was no record deal yet. And uh, we were just putting together the four songs that Andre was going to bring to to whoever, because we didn't know who it was going to be yet. It was what record label was going to be. But Andre Harrell knew he had something special, uh, especially after we demoed and he paid for, um, you know, us to go in the studio and really get these songs, you know, sounding like they were professionally made. Then when Andre had the ammunition, he knew I'm going to play this. I'm going to play the industry and I'm everyone's going to hear this guy. And um, and whoever's I feel more comfortable with, that's where we're gonna go. And that happened to be Warner Brothers, you know. But those songs were all ready to go by then. Wow! And also at Warner Brothers at this time, Benny Medina was there, correct? Absolutely, yes. Mr. Benny Benny Medina. If you look at the credits for Fresh Prince of Bel Air, yes, that Benny Medina. And you could Google him all his <laughs> credits and everything where he's been involved with and all that. So at this time when you were working with Teddy, was he also simultaneously working on Guy's debut album? Uh, you know, I'm not sure. I'm not sure, but he was. Ooh, he was definitely working with um, with Timmy Gatling, which who was in the group. Um, I'm I'm not sure of the of the date line or if he was already in Guy yet, but he was already doing work for for Andre. I mean, the, Andre didn't have anything out yet uh, with Uptown Enterprise. He just had the Uptown's kicking it album, so there was nothing for Teddy to work anybody to work on anything other than that Uptown's kicking it album. But Teddy was in development with a few things. I'm quite sure at that time. Wow. And if you guys go on YouTube, you can catch the video for Uptown Kicking It with early Uptown Next, Heavy D and the Boys, Woody Rock, Groove Be Chill, Finesse and Sequence. Can we talk about Finesse and Sequence? Who I thought was so dope, very underrated, because at the college radio station where I worked at, we have the 12-inch for Straight From The Soul. And if you look at the video, you would notice a young Tony Pope, Track Masters, uh, Sam and Dave, who was in the video as the two old men playing checkers. And then a young man that would intern under Andre Harrell and then later leave Uptown to form Bad Boy. Yes, Mr. Sean Diddy Combs. Right, that's right. You know, I didn't know about Sam and Dave in the videos. That's that's good. I got to check that out. Yeah, I didn't know Legend. about it. I didn't know about it either until like somebody pointed it on YouTube, like that's Sam and Dave in the video. And I was like, that was rare because at this time, this was when rap was still being sampled. Um, let's hope this song don't hit so that they won't hear it and ask for clearance. <laughs> So it was definitely big to have Sam and Dave in the video because I'm sure James Brown was looking like, hmm, all this money from all these samples has not been cleared. I won't back pay. That's right. That's right. Yeah. So can James we talk Brown about, was... yes, sir. So can we talk about finesse and sequence? Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, talented, talented girls. I mean, when they were at Uptown, I mean, they were, you know, they were halfway through high school. That's how young they were. And uh, they had all that talent already in them. And Andre was able to, to, you know, to hone that early. He saw that early. 
And remember, these, these they were, you know, 17, 18, you know, around there. So Andre had to get the blessings from the, from their parents to just go to studio, you know, and, and promise that he would make sure they were driven home every day. That's how young these young ladies were. And um, I got to work with them through Eddie F. You know, Eddie F was in charge of the rap stuff at the time there. And he was working on some tracks for them. And he said, yo, Kyle, I need you to do something. I need you to do a bass line and this and that. And, um, you know, and that's how we worked on some, a lot of the, well, the four songs I worked, I think I worked with Eddie. Um, it was his idea, Eddie F, to uh, come up with the ballad. You know, we did a ballad that the girls were on, you know, I'll be there. So um, working with them was a lot of fun, you know. Um, Jarrell, I remember one, one night, one morning, we got snowed in my parents' house in Mount Vernon and, um, we, we had nowhere to go. The cars wouldn't go anywhere. So that's when we came up with a record that night, that morning. Um, um, I can't remember which one it was, but we said, Hey, we're here. We might as well make records, but they were always game. They always, they, they just had so much energy. Um, it's just a shame that they didn't have a, you know, the longer career that they deserved. Uh, beautiful ladies inside and out. Um, I always consider them family. Right, because that Soul Sister record, I mean, that record, crazy. And if you play that and off on your own, they sound very much alike. Yes, that was, I, I think I might have made those records in the same week. <laughs> yeah, because the, the, I, the same sounds, I mean, um, oh, and I love Soul Sisters was, I think it was their idea. That was, they came to the studio saying, you know what, I want to do something. Yeah, I think it might have been um, Sinquis, you know, Shireen. Um, you know, she said, I want to do something off the, you know, the uh, LaBelle record, you know, the Pat LaBelle record. And um, that's where it all came about. And, um, you know, they kind of walked me through the baseline and um, it was their idea. So it was, it was beautiful. And then you're right, that record, I mean, I would get calls from people across the country, you know, radio stations across the country, more than in the New York. And the record was really hot around the country, you know? And we had no idea because it wasn't big here in New York at the time. So it, it people, you know, around, they were able to figure out, oh, this is hot, this is new. These artists are great. Um, you know, the video was popping, you know, it was, that record was magical. Yeah, it was a video music box staple and, if I remember correctly, they had on the early Dapper Dan suits, and it's great to see Gucci finally giving Dapper Dan his due because he was taking luxury fashion wear, making it hot for the streets. He had Mike Tyson and a who's who of celebrities rocking his stuff, or you could get it outfitted in your car, like in the If It's Games You're Playing video that the girls were in the MCM cover Jeep. That's right. That's absolutely right. Yeah, hey, you know what? It's about time, you know, that they got he got the 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 respect, you know, that he deserves. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Now with Night and Day, crossover smash, RB pop, album comes out. It's one of the pillars for New Jack Swing. Then all of a sudden, I'll be goes from here to here. And then as we saw in the new edition miniseries. He was on the Heartbreak Tour along with New Edition, Bobby Brown. And then, of course, the girls backing, I'll be sure. Yes, absolutely. Um, I, the Let me tell you, we worked on that record 
uh, maybe, no, maybe it wasn't a lot of time, but everybody, you know, Andre was smart to always bring radio people by the studio sometimes. And this was Albie Shaw's first record. This was my first record. You know, we, we didn't know what was going to be big. That's, that's, you know, we were young kids, but all the radio people said this artist, because he, they knew that Albie Shaw had what a, he had it. And he was going to be a great artist. And the songs were strong. They said, this, this is going to be really big. And I, I didn't pay any attention to that. I just was having fun being in the studio, you know, <laughs> instead of being in school. And um, when it came out, Jarrell, I mean, radio and video, I mean, everybody just took to it. And it just went, it skyrocketed. It really, really did. Yeah, I mean, the, the melody, the chords, everything about it was lush, smooth. And to me, it felt like what you guys were doing, you and Al, and on in effect mode, was kind of like a precursor to what was to later come with BBD. It was R&B, but smooth. Yes, yes, yes. And thank you for that. I appreciate that. But again, we, we, we didn't know, you know, we, we were in the studio. And I got to give a shout out to Roe Shamir. Um, he was a young up and coming engineer. Um, who he brought his specialty, his ear, because that's where it got the pop, you know, sh shimmy to it. You know, we we could make it rough, but Roe was able to really give it a pop sound where it, it became R&B pop. That, there was none of that yet, you know? So mm. he was very instrumental in our sound also. Mm. Kind of like that Jam and Lewis feel where they're able to take hard, funky R&B, but have that pop polish. Exactly. Yes, absolutely. Right. Absolutely. Now, you can call me crazy. Wasn't that originally supposed to go on in effect mode? And then Gene Griffin took it back, put it on Guy's album, left I'll Be Sure on backing vocals. And we have original Guy member Timmy Gatlin on lead vocals. Wow. Well, you know, I wasn't there for that, but I, I think, I think it, the what happened was, oh, let me let me see how I can say this. Um, it wasn't, it wasn't the, uh, G Gene Griffin. I think it was MCA as a whole. MCA felt that this artist, I'll be sure, is on Warner. Why are we and, and and Teddy Riley and Guy was on MCA? Why are we giving the 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 rival record company records? So they wanted it, they wanted the records taken back. So I think that's what happened. And then you know Al and and and, and you know which fell on Andre Harrell. So Andre Harrell had to make that decision. Um, and then you know Teddy was like, oh, look, it's all about work. It ain't all about that." It's all about relationships. Let me give one of the records back. And then I don't I don't know what happened. I don't know if it was, you know, intentional or not to leave, you know, I'll be sure it's vocals on there or not. But um, but I know to take the to, to take the records back was totally on MCA, you know. Uh, other than that, I can't speak on because I wasn't there. Right. But it's clearly Somebody's background vocals definitely sound like I'll be sure. <laughs> right, right. And can we talk about the girls? Man, Dare Love Me or Leave Leave Me album. If you can find that online anywhere, good luck. It is hard to find. 
but it is a very dope album. Like I said to you before we started this interview, I had a chance to interview Monica and Tara years ago on my radio show, and they was telling me about the making of that album and how they, I think there was a dog somewhere where the recording of the album was made, but their album... I mean, beautiful. It's over. Shout out to my boy, Deshaun, who told me that that was his first song that he got his first slow dance on. And when you listen to it, it's all because of you. I hear early shades of When Will I See You Smile Again. Uh-huh. Okay. Yes. You didn't think yes. I would catch that, did you? <laughs> hey, you know what? Probably it is. Yes. You know, there's a little bit of, a little bit of everything. I, I, at that time, I was just melding with everything whatever was i was feeling there's so much that was uh, you know definitely affecting my creativity that i would pick up and learn from probably yes yes but you know working with them it was we were all learning at the same time we were all you know we were all at my my, my parents house and they were learning how to write i was learning how to produce and um you know and we can't forget terry robinson you know oh, terry yes. robinson you know, she she was, you know, she was just as instrumental. Um, those three girls loved each other. They learned from each other. Um, you know, they helped each other. And um, it, it was it was almost like not working. And it was Andre Harrell was the, was was smart enough to say, you know what, you guys just go do your thing. You know, if, if we if you need help, we'll get you help. You know, sometimes I'll be sure will come in and help with some writing or something. But or mix, but other than that, that was I think Andre Harrell's genes was just y'all go and do your thing, and we pretty much we came up with a with an entire album, you know. And um, there those 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 young ladies will always be family to me, also, and they helped me grow into what I became creatively. And uh, I, I have nothing but beautiful things to say about them. Right, and Monica and Terry from the girls, they later went on to form a duo, Monica and Terry put out a solo album and then they co-wrote Can't You See for Total, other songs in the industry. Now, In Effect Mode is out and it's huge. And you guys go into the studio for the follow-up, Private Times and the whole nine. What was that process like knowing that In Effect Mode took you all to Stratosphere Heights and then going to the studio for the sophomore follow-up? Well, you, you could imagine, Gerald, the pressure. You know, it's like, you gotta come, you gotta, you gotta be better. You gotta be better than the first album. So the pressure was heavy, um, most definitely, mostly on the artist, uh, mostly on the record label. And, um, you know, creatively, you know, we, we didn't know, you pretty much gotta make the first album again, you know, but just better. You can't get too creative, you know, you can't go away from what, you know, what made you special. We didn't know that. So we got better. We got better at what we did. But the problem was it wasn't as consistent as the first album. So a lot of the a lot of the pieces, you know, the engineer, even down to the engineer and management and everything, there was a lot of change that I'll be sure I had to deal with. And um that was just, it was a lot to put on this young man, you know, um, but creatively, hey, we, 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 we were grown, we were better, but I don't know if we were as effective. And I don't know if that's why the second album wasn't as strong as the first album. 
we, we were able to pump out records. There were that's why there are more records on the second album than the first album. We we kind of went away from what got us there a little bit. And then with all the outside stuff that was really, you know, distracting to the artist um, that, you know, I'll be sure had to, 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 to deal with that he shouldn't have had to, um, it, it kind of, you know, we weren't able to make another triple platinum album like, like we expected. Right. And what was that process for you like being in demand, you're fielding calls that, hey, I want Kyle West to produce this. I want him to write this. And for you to be like, man, I can't get these people off my phone to save my life because I'm, I'm hot. <laughs> yeah. You know, it, it was, Jarrell, it was funny because, again, that's not what I got in the industry to be. You know, I'd never expected to be at that level, as you said. And then to be in demand, um, for me as a person, I'm like, okay, well, then I got to make sure I'm good enough. And I always kind of had questions on, am I good enough to be one of the best in this industry? And that and I was scared, you know, I'm like, oh, I got to learn how to do this better. I got to listen to more music. Um, it, it was a lot of pressure. And um, you, you can't imagine, everybody was calling and, I, you know, I didn't, my management wasn't as tight and, you know, I just, it was a lot going on, but it was fun. It was fun to meet these new people. Uh, these some artists that I actually admired and knew, you know, when I was younger as a kid, and um, it, it was definitely a, a, an experience. It was an experience, and I learned from a lot of those artists. Uh, remember when I worked with Ralph Tresvant of, uh, of of New Edition, and just learning from him of how it is to be a big star. You know, he was a big star at that time, and uh, he was working on his uh, solo album, and just you know just talking and, and things like that just really made me learn the industry more and learning executives more. And um, that period definitely taught me the industry. I didn't learn that before, but now I had to be a student of the industry, which is very important. Right. And I'm going to go ahead and say this girl, I can't control it should have been a single. Cause when you listen to that song, it sounds very similar to misunderstanding. Yes, 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 it does. It does. But come on, hey, you look, you know, on that album, you got Jimmy and Terry and you got LA and Baby Faces. They, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a little guy on that. You know, I was just happy to be on there. You know, someone someone broke it down to me and said, and all my business was crazy on that. I might spend too much money and it didn't make any money. But they said, look, you were on an album with legendary producers, you know. And I'm like, hey, you're right. So believe I was so, so, so thankful that I got the opportunity to work with him. Right, know? right. And before we go into the Sexies Versus album, I want to talk about this young child prodigy out of Waxahassee, Texas, who first mm -hmm. made his debut on Quincy Jones' Back on the Block album, which won the Grammy, 1989, on Tomorrow, Better You or Better Me, the T to the E to the V to the I to the N, Mr. Timmy Campbell, and to me, outside of Michael Jackson, best child's vocalist I've ever heard. And what was that like going <laughs> through the process, making the Tevin album, and trying to find songs that would fit his huge vocal range, but not be too mm -hmm. kitty, which I felt that was the problem when uh, Johnny Gill and Stacey Lottesaw had solo careers, and this was pre-Johnny mm -hmm. joining New Edition. Mm -hmm. Yes. 
Te Tevin Campbell is 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 a prodigy. I mean, you know, we worked with him. He was fourteen, and I mean, it did. This came natural to him. I mean, what you heard, this was just in him. He was he's a gifted singer, and um, I'm going to give all the credit to Albie Shore because he. He stuffed them the, these records down Benny Medina's throat. He's like, "Look, records are done. We're flying out to LA. I'm, we're gonna pick them up from school. We're recording them." It's like you don't gotta do nothing, Benny. Just sit there. And Benny was like, "Do your thing," you know. So we created these records. Um, then we also, you know, Albie Show was like, "Okay, I wrote this, but I needed I need that vocal to really bite. So let me get some 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 biting vocalists." And he went. And he got, you know, um, uh, KC Haley and JoJo Haley from Jodeci and said, reference these. I wrote these songs, reference this. And, you know, they just took it out the box. They just went all over the place. And for the reference vocal. So we knew we had hits before we got on the plane. And Benny and we went to Benny's house and said, boom, here, listen to these. And Benny was like, go get the kid and go record those, you know. And Jarrell, I mean... This Tevin came in, listened to the reference once or twice, and boom, just became a star right on right on the track. So, when you work with talented artists like that, and it's it's just it's easy. So those records came about easy, you know. Yeah. And the the, the writing and the arrangements, you know, that I'll be sure put on there, and oh, it oh, it's just magical, magical. And to get three, four hit records out of that. Uh, so easily says something about the artist. Tevin Campbell is, um, you know, I'm, a lot of people, you know, younger might not know about him, but he was was a gifted, is a gifted, gifted singer. You all are going to learn who Tevin Campbell is today and put some respect on his <laughs> name. Yes, you guys are. And I also had a chance to interview Narada Michael Walden, who did Tell Me What You Want Me To Do for Tevin. Yeah. But when you listen to along with you and those it's like you guys had got that signature sound where it's like that very like boom and then the pretty chorus doop 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 mm -hmm. what instruments did you guys use because i mean everybody was trying to emulate you you and now be sound that's right and that's why i can't tell you what i used <laughs> I was like, it, it, no, it's, like, it's like the colonel's original recipe <laughs> secret can't give it away but you know what i mean look we we used all the the uh, you know, I, I, no. See, we used the staples of the of the of the industry at the time, the the Roland line and the Yamaha line. But you know what? The 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 engineering and and the and the mixing, you know, really came in and and was able to to process some of those sounds. But we're pretty much coming out of the Roland and, and the Yamaha line. And hey, look, and you know what? And I I got to play my chords right, so it's going to sound different. But it's, it's 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 most of the same stuff that that the, the industry was using, you know. Right, and I want to back up a little bit when we were talking about early days of rap having authorized samples. This was back when you would have to manipulate the machine because the sample rate time was so low. Where you have to play a thirty-three on a forty-five speed, so that way you could trick it to give yourself more <laughs> sampling time. Now, was that the technique used for the remix of? Off on your own, girl. Which samples "Nightmares of the Night" by Dana Dane? Oh yeah, yeah, yes, 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 yes. Um, you know, Albie Shore was a connoisseur of rap. He knew rap. He knew the sound. 
he knew he could rap every record. He knew all, all the words. So he would just key in on certain, you know, lines and, and, and um, you know, verses and snippets of words. And then he would use that and incorporate it into his records. He did that with a lot of records. Um, that's pretty much what he, what he did. And again, you know, Roche Mayer, the engineer was able to, um, you know, to, to get these machines, the, 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 the Akai 950 and the Akai 1000, and he knew how to manipulate those machines to, to give us the sound that we needed. Right, and it's definitely still because when I first heard 24-7 by Dino, I was like, this sounds very similar to Night and Day. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but see, but that was on purpose. There was, a, and, and this is a copycat business. So absolutely, there was someone that said, you don't know how many people have came up to me and said, yo, I went and studied blah, blah, blah record that you did to make my record. You know, and you you at first you thinking like, wow, that's not cool. But then it's like, wait, that's flattery. You know, the, in this industry, for you or anyone else to borrow from someone else, that's also a part of flattery. So mm -hmm. I, I I got over that quickly because I because that's what I did. I I borrowed from Jimmy and Terry, uh, Jimmy Jim and Terry Lewis. So yeah. you know, it's it's that it's that's what we do. And unfortunately, especially in black music, you have to do that. So, um, you know, other genres of music, you could kind of be as creative and, and go on out as you want, but black, you know, R&B music, they want you to kind of follow along, you know, kind of chart chase, which is a bad thing. So it's, it's it, it was it was all good. It was all good. Right. You now, you, you mentioned Casey and JoJo doing the reference vocals for Tevin. Now, what was it like when these four young men from my neck of the woods, North Carolina, made their way up to New York and started doing backing vocals for pretty much anything uptown related? If you listen to 5MC, treat them like they want to be treated. Lisa Baby, mm -hmm. everything's going to be all right. The Tevin stuff. And the remix to Misunderstanding had a young Devontae swing on the production. What was that like seeing early Jodeci and then seeing them work on Forever My Lady and all like, oh, these guys are going to be huge once they get out. Then, of course, Diddy with the look of making them over from Southern Church Boys to Rough, Rugged, and Raw. Shout out to EPMD, R&B, hip-hop gods. That's right. Let me tell you. I remember when I first met 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 you know the Devonte and and Dalvin and jo, Jojo and KC and um, they were just so hungry. They were so that was first and foremost. They were ready to run through a wall to to show what they do and how special they were. Once Andre Harrell again gave them equipment to go over there and do your thing, you just could not stop these four guys. You know. Devante is one of the most complete talents production wise we've ever seen. You know, that's got to hopefully people will know that in the future. He could play, he could write, he could sing, he could he could do anything. And then when you have, you know, these three brothers, you know, his brother and then you got Casey and Jojo who could sing anything. You had the smooth and Jojo and you had the the rough rugged, you know, the uh, uh, you know, attack that that KC brought. How there's nothing you could do to stop them. Then, you know, so getting them in the studio was great. But Albie Shaw came in. You know, he came in at the end and was like, you know what? 
I couldn't really give it that sheen that it needs, you know, where it, you guys are just going to sound like real pros. Like, that wasn't Devontae's thing. It was, okay, boom, boom, boom. I can boom. I'm going to make dope records. But I'll be sure gave it that sound where it was like, this is professional, you know? And they loved it. They loved him. They all, that's why they all got along. Um, I got along great with these guys. They were, you know, they showed respect. We, we learned from each other. But that that entity, those four guys together, you you weren't gonna stop them. They they had just too much talent for them. You know, it was incredible to see them work. Right. They they weren't go gonna be denied. And let's talk about sexy versus. Absolutely. Okay. You take it wherever wherever you want to go. Sexy versus the making of the album right now. Natalie misunderstanding, but I want to clear this up. Now, Michael Bivens had said in a TV One special, uh, Life After, that Poison was originally for Al B, but he passed on it. Is there some truth to that, or do you know? Wow. Um, <laughs> I, the producer for that record, Dr. Freeze, I know him, and he told me way back that he made the track. Yes, he did. He made the track excuse me, for, for I'll be sure. I'm, I'm not sure if I'll be rejected it. I, that I'm not sure. It's, you know, he liked to keep, he liked things to be in-house. You know, I'll be sure like, he, you know, he knows that the two or three producers he's going to work with. So it's very possible, but I do know for sure that Dr. Freeze, he created that track for night and day that i know for sure yes okay all right that's de definitely for sure i mean the sexy versus album dope album right now natalie misunderstanding i mean very yes. very yeah. very great album now well, now this person right here 1993 he was on the 902 and no soundtrack you guys do a song on his try my love album called Do It To The Music. How did you guys yeah. come across working with Jeremy Jordan, who I just recently interviewed for the podcast? Wow, yes, wow. But you know, I think that might've came from Cassandra Mills. Um, I've been good friend. as well. Yes, Cassandra, I think, was working on that soundtrack. And, um, I heard through the grapevine through my publishing company that she was looking for us. And, um, and then I guess she just connected with Al B and uh, put us two together and was like, you know, I need something. This, this artist is great. Blah, blah, blah. He's got energy. He's got the look. He's got the sound. And we came up with the record. We came up with, actually, we came up with a few. And, but there was one record that we said, oh, this guy's going to be just smooth on it smooth and sexy on it and really make it happen. And uh, Do It To The Music was perfect uh, for Jeremy. And he he just, he put a hole in it. He made it his record. So yes, yeah, so that's how that came out. Cassandra Mills. Mm -hmm. Jeremy knocked it out of the park. And I told him when I interviewed him that his album to me was the blueprint that Justin followed for Justified. And it would have sound like a great meshing of pop R&B had Jordan from New Kids on the Block decided to go solo at that time. And what was your thoughts on New Kids and their success and how a lot of people got it twisted that, hey, 
there were more R&B than what the pop audience knew. Yes, you know, I, I, other than, I mean, hey, look, I, when you sell the units that they did and you had the following that they did, you knew what you was doing. So, you know, Maurice Starr, um, who I had, you know, pleasure to meet a few times, he, he knew what he was doing. He know, and more than he just known how to make records, he knew how to sell. He knew how to sell his product and his projects and um, got to give him all the grace and glory for that. Mm-hmm. Um, I met with the guys, just great, 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 great guys. You know, I met Donnie and uh, I remember Joe, meeting Joe one night. Um, great guys. They were, they didn't have big heads, you know. Um, but you know what? They, they could do pop. They could have, they could have did R&B at that time, you know. But again, Maurice knew, look, I need you over here. I don't need you spreading your sound over. I need your sound to be boom right here that pop money hits different that exactly i can't you know and that's just that's just the business you know we've got a product to sell and i need you to stay right here but those guys were so talented they could have done anything else they they could have did some could you imagine them working with babyface or work you know work with myself and now i mean come on now yeah but that they had what they needed already you know so um they they deserve this that you know they deserve this success and uh, very talented guys. Right. Very. Your thoughts on when you first heard Mary J. Blige because as the story goes, I believe Jeff Red got her dem. It was a her demo or her singing Anita Baker's Rapture on one of those little videos that you make at the mall, and yes. it was off to the races with Mary. Yeah, you know uh, it's. We, we we grew up so close by each other and we never really met. Um, she, when I'll be sure kind of put, really put Uptown on the map, we were out. We were out, you know, on tour. We were, you know, doing our thing. And Eddie F was really starting to put together Untouchables. And Eddie had his whole team, his staff, he had everything from the top to the bottom. And he pretty much nurtured, you know, because now Mary was there, but, you know, Andre was had a whole bunch of success going on. So he just said, you know what, Eddie, go take this and develop this and get it ready. And he was able to, you know, put together the records that she needed, um, you know, with, with, with his production team. And, um, you know, she that voice, you know, this was something that's like, this this represents you know the urban you know New York sound and now you got records to go with it. She got the look, beautiful woman, and she 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 she, she lived the part. She did nothing fake about her, and that was it. You you had legendary right there, just ready to ready to happen. Mm-hmm. Hip hop version of Aretha, and I'm sure Prince Marky D and Corey Rooney are loving the fact that Target used real love for their Christmas campaign. So keep getting them checks, fellas. Keep getting them checks. Now, can we talk about this? Is for New Jack Swing lovers everywhere. Can we talk about Key West? Wow, that, I, had pull, I had to put. I had to put. I had to pull it out. Pull it out. <laughs> You know, Key West, uh, just for, you, for your listeners, Key West was a group that uh, I was told to create a group. Uh, Andre Harrell said, look, you're, you you got a lot of hit records out here right now. You need something for yourself. 
I did not want to be an artist. You know, I'm a, I'm a behind the scenes guy. But hey, everyone, everyone I'm working with is they're out and they're traveling, and they're having fun. And I want to get out and see some sun too. So I put together Key West and it was, I mean, it almost, I didn't put together anything. These were people, these were writers and singers that were in my circle and we were making records, you know. So um, Dominic Trenere, you know, God rest his soul, he was in the group and um, Tabitha Brace and uh, Deosa Gray and, um, and then Terry joined the group and, um, you know, we, we just created records and I want to do the sound a little different. So it sounded different from the girls. It sounded different from I'll Be Sure. And um, we had no idea what was going to come out, what we were going to come out doing, you know. And, and Dominic Trenier, he was a downtown guy you know, here in New York City. He was the downtown, you know, he, he, the down, he knew the sound that was different from the uptown, which was what Tabitha was from. So we just meshed a lot of different genres a little bit. And it was it was fun. It was going to be something big, you know, and just, you know, the things just didn't happen right and didn't understand the business. And I, I, I three years later, I don't know what happened, but boy, we created some hell of a records, man. We really did. Can we get some release of that stuff? Because I know it's probably sitting somewhere because New Jack Swing lovers are like, man, we only heard the one cut off the Uptown compilation album. And it was like, man, we want more. Yeah, yeah, that that's, I tell you, if I knew how to do that, I tell you, I would. I mean, I remember one of those records, um, there was an A&R man, uh, his name was Kenny Ortiz, is Kenny Ortiz, good friend. And he was working on a pro new project he had. And he said, man, I remember one of the records you did for Key West. I want it, I want it, I want it. I said, I don't know, man, you know, I didn't write it. You know, you gotta ask Tabitha Brace who wrote it. Oh, I want it, I want it, I want it. And it happened to, to be the group he was working on was, T uh, was SWV. And they, we, they wanted the record and, you know, it was like, oh my God, they would have just, they would have graced that record with, with so much love. And it's it's still sitting, unfortunately. So there's some strong records that Key West did. And maybe one of these days, the public will hear them. Maybe so. And um, I'm real good friends with Mark Gay from Shy, And he was at Howard at the same time as Diddy was. And he was telling me how this just goes to show you people how committed he was. He would be at Howard, do classes, get on the Amtrak. Mm -hmm go from D.C. to New York to intern at Uptown. Because he always told the story about how when he first met uh, Andre, how Andre had an errand for him. And instead of walking 10 blocks to deliver a tape, he ran 10 blocks up and 10 back with that tape. And it was like, man, this boy is going to be something if he's willing to do that. Let me tell you, you know, Diddy was incredible. I mean, he he was so driven. He really what is he still is, and um, you know when he came to Uptown early on, you know we were I was still there, and I I remember the day he he came into Andre's office, you know, and um, uh, Andre Harrell's um, assistant said, "Hey, this young man wants to meet you," and I was in the office with Andre at the time, and 
he just wanted to introduce himself, saying, look, this is, I go to school down in D.C., but I want to come and do this, blah, 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 blah. And he was so respectful. And, and you know, Diddy doesn't, he never knew this, but when he left, me and Andre laughed because Diddy called us both, you know, Mr. West and Mr. Harrell. And we're like, we're like young, you know, but that's how Puff did. I keep calling him, I'm sorry, did, that's how Diddy knew, you know, it, look, I'm, I'm not stepping on no toes because once I get in these doors, I'm busting these doors wide open. So I'm going to give everybody respect. So we knew that he was going to become just something incredible. The vision that he had. And then also to be learning it from one of the best visionaries we've, ever, we've seen ever in Andre Harrell. You just knew he was going to be set. Right. Because I felt once he started Bad Boy, it was just he took what he learned from Uptown and just applied it to his own label. Absolutely. That's exactly what he did. That's exactly you know what? Diddy was a sponge. He listened and he learned from everybody he was around. And he took that and he had ideas that, you know, like, oh, let's let us all do this together. We're all from the same town. You know, let's do it together. And we just didn't have that same vision, you know, between the other artists that were here in, in, Mount, in Mount Vernon. But he had these ideas. And he could just foresee what he wanted artists to do. And he never saw past a certain point. He wanted to master one step, then get to the next step. He didn't want to go 10 steps up. He wanted to master each step. And I remember a conversation me and him had, and he said, look, I don't know if my career is going to be five years or 50 years. So I'm going to go and get it all right now. You know, so he, you just, he was just driven for you know, the success that he's had, you know, God bless him. Mm, can't stop, won't stop. Now, we mentioned earlier Eddie F and the Untouchables and everybody in that camp, David Jam Hall, Neville Hodge. What was your thoughts on when you were hearing this three-man group, rest in peace, Kenny Green, intro? Mm -hmm. Boy, you know, wow, his voice, <laughs> Another one, you, 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 he sounded like he's been doing this for his whole life. He was just such a natural on the track. Um, he could make any song sound incredible. Um, he was so much he was so radio friendly with his R&B, but it, it felt young, you know, but it, it, he was, he really could master that lead track. But when you have you know, Eddie F and 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 the, the production team that he had, you know, Dave and Navelle, you know, and Kenny and and um, you know Darren Whittington did some stuff and Kenny, Kenny Smooth, all of them, they they knew how to make records. They were listening, you know, they listened, they listened to Eddie. And Eddie would walk you through and then look, now you gotta do it, you know, and he had a real tight production team uh, of course we can't forget pete rock you know yeah, coming yeah. from oh he, he just he knew how to pick talent you know so that's what he did with myself and i'll be sure so you know once you got in that that uptown that up the, the untouchables camp you ted eddie was gonna make sure you was taken care of he was gonna make sure you you represented right and i was wondering oh, are you familiar with this R&B singer that was signed to Uptown by the name of Nesto Velasquez? Yes, yes. He, um, I was, he was brought to my attention 
uh, by the late great James Earl Jones. You know, that's his, um, Junior, and Junior was a new a new A and R up there, and um, he was one of his projects. And you know, it was going to you know Latin dude doing all, straight R and B. You know, it was like it was different. And yeah. um, you know, we did a record. Um, uh, you know, didn't nothing obviously ever happened, but oh yeah, they they were on that way back then, you know, they said, hey, this is going to be a little different, you know, but Nesto could sing, you know, it was like, you didn't even know, unless you saw a picture, you you didn't know, you know, that he was not, you know, black guy, but mm -hmm. just we really to do. Yeah, Latin Christopher Williams. Now, I had a chance to interview, yeah. I had a chance to interview Nesto, and I'm going to tell you something oh. that maybe a lot of people don't know, and that's going to blow your mind, right? So, when I interviewed Nesto, he told me that originally, he was supposed to have been in Barrio Boys. Wow, okay. And okay. I had a chance to interview yes. Joe Jacket. And what happened was, I believe it was kind of taking too long. And that was when he got signed to Uptown, put out personality. And he said the single took off, but it was right around during the time when labels would break for the for, after the fourth quarter for the holidays and resume at the top mm -hmm. of the year. So there was nobody to really push the record and it had a big buzz. And like you were stating earlier, they were ahead of the curve with the whole Latin R&B sound, what was to later come with Barrio Boys, Mark Anthony, mm -hmm. um, even this guy who I feel doesn't give enough props as an artist, but we know that he's bad musician, songwriter and producer along with his brother is Bobby Ross Avila. Oh yes, 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 absolutely. Absolutely. Definitely ahead, but, of the, ahead of the curve. Yeah, he just got caught up in a time that, you know, just, uh, just it was a shame that, that, that we couldn't, we couldn't have heard his project because he was a special artist. Definitely mm -hmm. was. Now, was there an artist or group that you wish you could have had the chance to work with, but for reasons or another, it never panned out? Wow. Oh, wow. Um, you know, I, I tell you right now, I, I was, I always thought that the Kyle West Albee Show sound would have worked well with Michael Jackson. I mean, everybody wanted to work with Michael Jackson, but I really thought we had something that our sound would have really worked well with him. So I really wanted to, you know, and we, that chance almost happened. Um, uh, Andre Harrell almost put that. No, it was Benny almost put that together. But no, that that's the one artist that I think our songwriting and production would have um, would have really set well with Michael Jackson. Right, because I like when I hear Night and Day and a lot of the in effect most of I hear either Michael or I'm gonna give you another person. Maybe you correct me if maybe your guys sound would fit for this person, Elder Barge. Oh yes! Oh yes! Yes, yes. Yeah, Just, Elder, you know, Elder Barge. And and he he you know L you know I've met him once or twice. You, you let me tell you that dude is gifted. His songwriting and his composing, he could sit at a piano and just create. He was that's an incredible, incredible talent, and he he still got stuff that he you know we we ain't here the last of nobody. Um, but you, you, let me tell you, we just hope that we could have some more else to barge yeah. work. Yeah, and your thought, your thoughts on Christopher Williams? Christopher, oh wow, you know, 
he came around, he started hanging around and, you know, I'll be sure, you know, they, they hung out, they had the same interest, you know, they, they were real tight and Al was like, yo, you know, come on, roll, roll, just, you know, whatever we doing, just come on, you know? So he was, Christopher was around a lot and gifted voice. He was, he was voice. He didn't worry about creating, you know, writing and all that. Yo, I will out sing anybody, you know? And um, that was Christopher Williams. And, um, you know, he got caught up with the Uptown thing where, you know, this, the timing was bad, but that's okay. Cause he's had a, he's had a really good career, but he was the, the voice was just power, the straight power. That's all he worried about, you know, um, just incredible, nice, really nice dude too. Um, but, um, the voice, he's the voice. He is the voice. Yeah, you know? he, yeah, he was like a younger version of Teddy Pendergrass because when I listened to oh. his debut album, oh. Adventures in Paradise, that was on Geffen, it felt like Geffen, they really didn't know what to do with him. And I felt once he got on Uptown and put out the Changes album, that was when everybody got to really see, okay, this brother's bad. Then, of course, it also didn't hurt either that he was in New Jack City, which came out, I think, a year prior to the Changes right. album being released because Changes dropped in 92 and New Jack City was in 91. Right, right. See, exactly. You know, Andre knew what to do with him. And, you know, it just, it just, that relationship could have been longer, you know, if things, you know, weren't going on what was going on. Um, but that's what got in the way of him being at Uptown and being connected with uptown longer um because he it was interesting before he got to geffen you know andre he was an uptown artist it's like he everything about him but just the timing and stuff and you know there's a better deal that was being offered blah 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 blah, blah that he couldn't you know do start his career there but um i think that relationship could have really really went much further if, if, if the situation was different and it, it would and it benefited everybody. Right. And what was your thoughts when you got into the studio with Usher to work on his 1994 debut album, which to me, I love. Oh, yes, yes, yes. You know, and, and it's interesting because I wasn't like in the studio, but Puffy, you know, he reached out, he reached out for all of us and um, Puff, you know, I'm sorry, Diddy. And um, we kind of, me and, and I'll be sure, we had an idea on a song. And um, actually I think Dave Hall, uh, I'll be sure I might have finished it with Dave Hall. So I never really got in with him, but um, I always felt like I was connected because I did get the call from Diddy but I was never in the in the studio with with Usher on that project. Okay, and did mm. the Winans Commission Take Six have any influence on your production? Wow, um, no. But you know, I, you know, I wasn't a gospel guy. But let me tell you, everyone who was, you know, in in the in the circle and not in the circle. When they heard, the, the, I heard these names of these artists, these gospel artists, because they said, you know, they could hear that they influenced Teddy Riley, 
a lot. And I was like, oh, really? So I need to listen to these artists. They said, oh, yeah, chord-wise and this and that, you know, you could you could hear it in Teddy's stuff. So I said, well, then maybe I need to listen to them too so I can get some ideas. But I literally, you know, between, you know, Stevie Wonder and, you know, um, a lot of the uh, Quincy Jones productions with Phil, Greg Phillip Gaines on the keyboards and, um, you know, that's, you know, even some of the, the Barry White productions where they were so big, that's where I really got my motivation, you know, right. um, where I was really studying. Those are the three entities. And then, uh, you know, still to this day, I listen to Beatles records, you know, right. great record you know, songwriters. So that's pretty much where my structure came from right there. Right. And you mentioned Quincy Jones and how prior to linking up with Michael for off the wall, he was known jazz, bossa nova, and people mm -hmm. didn't really think that he could do contemporary music. But when off the wall hit, it hit, but it went stratosphere big with Thriller. Mm -hmm. Oh, yes, yes. See, I, I loved off the wall. I That's my favorite Michael Jackson hey, album. I, I, but I agree with you. I, everybody says <laughs> Thriller for me is off the wall. It's off the wall for me. But I remember, you know, he did, you know, Quincy did, you know, records with, uh, you know, Ashford and Simpson and all his his camp, you know, James Ingram and all of them. They, hey, you, you're talking powerhouses. So his producers, his, his writers, his musicians, uh, which he, from what I understood, used the same ones over, engineer, same one over and over and over for years. That's where you got the stability of his sound. So even though it's not Quincy Jones actually playing, but Greg Fillingames, who I who I did talk talk to once or twice, I know he did a lot of the structure. Those chords and the layers and the way the song, you know, the sounds moved in and out, that's where and between that and, and Jimmy and Terry, Jimmy Jim and Terry Lewis, that's how I learned how to make record. Boom, right there. Right, and we also got to give a big mention to uh, the late Rod Temperton from uh, Heat Wave, oh, who yeah. was also on pretty much most of those Michael records. And you mentioned Jimmy and Terry. Man, their production where we can go down the list from Alexander O'Neill, Sherelle, Janet, New Edition. And like I stated earlier, to me, they were able to take raw, gritty funk, R&B, have pop polish. And I also think mm -hmm. it didn't hurt that you were learning every night under Prince and kicking his butt when the time will perform. There you go. You know, I, I that, that Minneapolis sound, you had so much talent in the Midwest at that time. All those groups coming out of, you know, um, out of Ohio and, and, and into Min in Minnesota. I mean, they they all kind of learned. They That was the sound of the late 70s and early 80s. So, you know, they kind of learned from each other and um, that was the template of making records. And then just how the artists, you know, just grew younger and younger. And with Jimmy and Terry, they just said, all right, well, look, we're going to adjust too. It's hard for producers to do that, you know, um, but they were able to do it seamlessly. They're able to work with mature artists, young artists, you know, pop artists, you know, human league, you know, I mean, they, they, they're just incredible, incredible creators and that's that's all i needed to really listen to to um to really hone what i did 
Right, and you mentioned that Midwest funk sound. I thought this one group was very underrated, but I think what happened with them was they didn't get that same push as their fellow Michiganders from Flint, Ready for the World, talking about Dream Boy. Oh. They were signed to Quest Records. Oh, yes. You know, I, I, I'm not too familiar with them, but I do remember them. Yes, Quest Boys. Yeah, yeah Dream Boy. So can we talk about this one producer? Man, Barry White, his godfather, turned away. Don't you know I love you? Games. Yes. Spread my wings, my heart. Can we talk about Chucky yeah. Booker? Uh, you know, Chucky, you know, never got to meet him, though, but definitely in the same circle. Um, cre So creative, you know. He, he, from what I understand, he was able to do everything. I think, you know, he was even Janet's, you know, uh, band leader for a minute. So, just overall, just a really talented guy. Um, again, never got to meet him or work with him, but uh, heard nothing but good things about him. Right. Absolutely. Right. I had a chance to interview Chucky and then also interviewed Alan, Steve, Ronnie, and John John from Troop. And they all told me that Turned Away was originally supposed to go to Troop. But what happened oh. was he played it for Sylvia Rome. And Sylvia said, nope this is going on your album, no matter how much you buzz to try to say it's for Troop, it's for you. And when he told Troop that Turned Away was going to him instead of them, they were like, we want a song similar. And that's how we get Spread My Wings. Oh, nice. I like that. Yeah. Yeah. That's what we do at Beyond the Album Cover. We get the stories that nobody knows. Now, can you tell us about your current endeavors with Collective Records? And shout out to Dre and all the Collective Records camp and for making this interview happen. Absolutely. You know, um, Andre Hendricks and Leo Blaze, Leo Blaze Marin, they're, you know, they're two guys that uh, they're out there in um, in Phoenix, Arizona. And I I was working with, with, with Dre for years. We were songwriting for years, you know, back and forth, just sending stuff back. And then around two years ago, um, Leo, Leo Blaze, who's a DJ, big DJ out there in Phoenix, he found an artist. He found an artist who was just top to bottom, like just, okay, this guy is it. And uh, his name is Benjamin Reynolds. Let me give him a shout out. And um, just songwriter, arranger, just, just a natural. And that's how we kind of came together, the four of us. And uh, we said, you know what? The way the industry is now, you know, we got to try to, Instead of trying to bring it to another label, let's just do it for ourselves. Let's try to create the business ourselves. And um, uh, easier said than done. So it was a little hard and things didn't go well with, uh, with Benjamin Reynolds. But um, we now got the structure going. You know, we got the creative people. You know, we got Wes and we got the you know, family down in, in Mississippi. And, um, you know, we got artists, Blaine and, you know, Madison and Poet and Marie. You know, just so we got the, the body and we got the creative people. And now, Jarrell, we are just, you know, plugging away, you know, radio. Oh, big shout out to, to Rampage. You know, um, we're, we're learning how to do independent radio the hard way. It's, it's a lot. It's, it's, it's a struggle, but it's so much fun. You know, we take care of each other. We love each other. And we're just out here trying to, to, trying to make some good, good music and get it out there. Right. And were you in the studio with Al when he worked with Al Green for as long as we're together? Or was that solely an Al project? No, no, no. We actually did that together. Yes. Um, 
you know, uh, the Reverend Al Green, you know, he wanted a, a different, you know, he had the album already done. So he just wanted a different vibe, a different energy and gave us the situation. And we, you know, we, we had the tapes, you know, we had to say, we said, okay, we could kind of flip this, you know, and just make it young and make it more aggressive, make it again, make it radio. And uh, just to have that opportunity to work with the, 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 the Reverend Al, Al Green, um, we said, you know, hopefully, you know, we're not stepping on your toes. This is not, you know, this is the, the New York, New Jack swing sound. And we got the blessing to do whatever we wanted to do, however we do it. And you know what? We came up with something that was just so special and, you know, helped the Reverend, you know, get another Grammy to his, to his you know, to his collection of, of, of awards. And um, it was a, a, just an incredible experience for me to work with. A, a legendary artist like that. Yeah, a funky cut. My wife and I, about two years ago, we went to Memphis for vacation and we got a chance to go to the Reverend Al Green's church. And I was trying mm -hmm. my hardest not to fanboy doing the whole service. But there were a tour bus of international folks coming in deep, sitting in the center pew, and then not used to the Baptist church tradition of keeping composure when you're going around putting your money in the plate. One person tried to yeah. slide a program to get him to sign. And I'm just like, man, do you know who that man is? And he sound just like the record, man. I was like, man, I, I could just leave, leave right now because it say see the Reverend Al Green. And you guys also did the remix to Tell Me I'm Not Dreaming for Robert Palmer. For those of you, the late Robert Palmer, rest in peace. But for those of you that don't know, that was originally done by Jermaine Jackson, which had Michael on vocals, but that was not released as a single because I believe Epic would not give Arista, AKA Clive Davis, clearance to put that out as a single, but it was a big radio airplay hit. That's right, absolutely. Um, again, you know, we were sometimes when you when you work with artists like that, when they already have their, you know, first of all, these are legendary artists and this is coming over from another genre of music. Sometimes we're young, we're the new genre, you know, this hip hop, new jack thing. And is it okay for us to do what we do? And, you know, we got the blessing, you know, from the artists and, and you know, from the late Robert Palmer and the label to just go and do what we do. And um, it was, look, it, it came out exactly where we wanted and we gave respect, you know, to the artist and um, it's, it's all good. It came out very, really good. Mm. Can you tell me about, is it Lady or Lade? It, they were a four man group. I think they were signed to Motown. You can correct me if I'm wrong. Yes, they were, uh, they were signed to Albie Shore's label through Motown. Mm. Um, I only work, you know what? Um, Tony, the lead singer, we worked, he, he would do references for us on stuff. Uh, let me tell you, it's, it's a shame we didn't hear him more. This, this guy was an incredible singer, young, a young boy. And it's like, how do you sing that well at that age? Gifted, gifted artist. Um, you know, unfortunately, we didn't get to, to hear more of them. But yes, they were signed through Albie Shore's label, through Motown. Mm, and then with Bad Boy being in its infancy, um, did you hear any of the early Faith and 112 stuff before their debut albums came out? Because wow. I believe Al uh, B did some stuff on 112's debut, I believe. Yes, we did. We did uh, two songs. We did two songs on their album. We actually cut four. 
Um, again, you know how Diddy works. Diddy let everybody in the industry know, look, I got my artists that are going to be in my office. Show up, you know? And I mean, it's packed in there with all these producers. And those four young men in, in, in 112 sat there. Matter of fact, it was, um, it was Duran who would sit there and play the, the piano and sing. And then the three of them was around. So when we first met the group, Duran was the one that blew us away. And no disrespect to the other members, but Duran is, is, is gifted. And we just, you didn't see that in the, in the 112 records, but gifted artist, you know? So um, yes, we saw him early. And then with Faith, you know, I, we knew Faith, you know, way before, you know, the still in the, the Uptown days before, you know, um, Bad Boy got started because, um, you know, she was with, um, uh, you know, a good friend of ours was a producer. And, um, you know, we, I'll be sure would write, again, he would write songs and just have Faith come and do references, you know, and Faith would just, I mean, just totally just knock them out. And it's like, wow. So that was, a that was, we would regularly do that with, with, with Faith. So we knew, you know, that she was a gifted, gifted singer. Uh, didn't know about the writing yet that, you know, but when you work with, with Diddy, you gotta be able to do everything. So he honed on that, but we knew that she was, she was going to be special. Absolutely. Right. Cause I know on 112's debut album, Tim and Bob did some production and songwriting on there. Now the interesting thing about Tim and Bob was that a lot of those cuts that were on 112's debut that they did originally, they were trying to pitch it to boys to men for the two album. But what happened was uh -huh. Gerald Busby the late Gerald Busby said that I want established producers on the sophomore record for the biggest group in the world. So like, can I yeah. touch you now that we're done? Those went to 112. Cause if you listen to those records, they sound very boys to minish. Okay. I didn't know that. Okay. Yeah. That's, hey, that, that's what I do. And then also what's your take on new jet swings influence because we mentioned New Kids on the Block and how they adopted the more R&B sound when they got with Teddy to do the Face the Music album in 94. But if you look at Backstreet Boys, NSYNC, all those groups, and then especially since Justin, JC, Tony Luca, future actor Ryan Gosling were on the Mickey Mouse Club, they were listening to New Jet Swing Heavy. I mean, they covered Cry For You on the Mickey Mouse Club. Mm-hmm. Didn't know that. Okay. Yeah, they, they did a lot of those arm. They had there's a video of Christina Aguilera, an, uh, another Mouseketeer who I can't recall, and then Rona Bennett, who is now in vogue covering week by SWV. And it just okay. goes to show how New Jet Swing and what you guys were doing were set trends across the world, then of course set the stage for what we see now with the K-pop movement with BTS. Oh, yeah. Yes. You know, Jarrell, obviously you don't know when you're making these records. You, you don't know what, what's going to happen. You don't even know if they're going to be hits, you know. But w over the years, you, you go places. I go places. I travel. And to, to know that your music has influenced others to the level that they did and, and the, to where these people became artists and creators 
and to know that, oh, I, I grew up listening to your stuff. It, it is incredible, you know? And as a whole, that musical genre, um, it, it went beyond where the creators and the labels expected. Because they thought it was just gonna be urban, um, you know, R&B, and it went way beyond that. The, the, the production styles, the producers today, um, they were so influenced by those artists and producers. And it's, it's, it is amazing. And now, as you said, I mean, I had someone, a, a group, you know, um, the K-pop group cover one of my records. And it was like, are you serious? You know, so it's, it, it is absolutely amazing um, that, that what, we, what was created, you know, back then in the late 80s is just, it's still going. It's yeah. really still gone. Yeah, like I mentioned, New Jack Swing is still loved and revered worldwide. You know, you had New York Undercover, uh, Strictly Business, and Living Color. Pretty much a lot of those TV shows and films in the early to mid-90s was influenced by the New Jack Swing sound and rest in peace, Andre Harrell. I think I had read that they're still planning on continuing with the Uptown miniseries, I believe. Do you know? Yes, I did hear that they are going to go ahead. Just, you know, BET's taking it over and they're now going to um, uh, hopefully go ahead and continue on with this. Absolutely. Right. And how do you feel with In Effect Mode being on the Mount Rushmore of New Jack Swing albums when we think of albums that jump-started the sound we have make it last yeah. forever in effect mode yeah. guys debut album so how did you feel about yeah. that legacy of that album? and once again people this it was only nine tracks on the album this was back in the days where you better have your a game because the cd in your cassette tape did not hold that much time so you wanted to crank out your best you, you know jerrell again you know look i was just I, I didn't see all. I didn't. I didn't see the success that it had. First of all, then to know that it would have the lasting effect on music for so long, it's it's it is just it's God's God's gift, you know that 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 um he gave us the talent to create it and all the people involved, you know, all the way down, artists, you know, writers, background singers, label. To, to, to create it and, and give it the love that it has. It's just, um, you just, you can't be more, more appreciative, really. Right. And do we have any records out from artists in the collective records camp? How can we hear it? And where can people go to find out more? Wow. Well, um, Ricardo Williams, um, he is the current artist that's out. He has the record called Come Over. And it's uh, it's on Collective Records, and it's it's independent, and um, he's he's got to be online and YouTube. Where people were trying to get it to you easier, <laughs> but um, come over. It's got to it's got to be somewhere. I, you know, Gerard, I, I gotta figure that out. Um, but look for him, Ricardo Williams. Come over on Collective Records. All right, there you have it. And do you have any shouts you want to give before we wrap and also plug social media? Oh, well, um, I'm not big on social media and I don't want to leave anybody out. So I ain't got no shout outs other than 
fans. Thank so you he guys. He shouts out everybody oh. now. Exactly. This, this interview, I, mean, yeah. I want to say, is really special <laughs> because I know you rarely give interviews. And for, for me, as a music lover, who would have thought being three, four years old in little rural Northeastern North Carolina, watching video so I'll be sure videos and all the work that you guys have done that I'll be speaking with you. And that's just the reason why I have this platform is to give people their flowers. And I want to give you the whole spread, the whole bouquet, because you deserve every last bit of it. Thank you. Thank you, Jarrell. It's, it's, I, I, you know, this is beautiful, man. And, you know, again, the only shout out is to you and to the fans that keep us relevant. Thank you for all the love because it's all about you guys. All right, ladies and gentlemen, you can catch this interview wherever you stream your podcast and on my YouTube channel, Beyond the Album Cover. Be sure to subscribe to the Facebook page, facebook.com slash beyond the album cover for all things podcast related. Ladies and gentlemen, there you have it. The one, the only, Mr. Break It Down himself, Mr. Kyle West. Kyle, thank you for coming on to Beyond the Album Cover. Anytime, Jarrell. Thank you so much, brother. Much appreciated.